Hello and welcome to another episode of Everyday Music People with me, John Lord. Today's guest is somebody that I've known for many years. He's got a great taste in music and I'm sure you're going to enjoy this uh, this next 45 minutes or an hour. Today's guest is Tom Solon. Tom, how are you? I'm all right. How are you, Jonathan? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. Just getting over Christmas. What are we now? The 28th and I'm still hungover from Christmas Day. That's all right. I'm pissed. Anyway, so. Oh, good. Good, good. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not pissed. I'm not pissed. What are you drinking? Have you got anything with you? I've I've got um, some much needed water after three days of drinking nothing but beer and gravy. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's the gravy that gets you, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I'm gonna guess that you're at home. Yeah, I'm in my little uh, sort of spare room slash office. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wait, uh, where you do this kind of thing for a living, really? Don't you? In a way, Tom. Yeah, I've done. Um, I've produced a fair few TV shows and um, online stuff and podcasts and stuff. If you, if this is out before New Year's Day, then check out Lingo on ITV One at three PM. Quiz fan. There we go. There we go. Well, hopefully we'll try and get that out in time for you. I doubt it because <laughs> uh, they're on Mondays. But maybe we should just cut to. Did everybody enjoy Lingo on ITV? <laughs> We'll do, we'll do an alternative recording and we'll say, I'm very sorry about lingo, everyone. <laughs> it's not going as expected. Oh, well, I'm sure it will, mate. I'm sure it will. If we were all looking forward to 2021 and then that happened, and it but really put <laughs> 2020 in perspective, didn't it? Right. So it's on New Year's Day then, is it? That's uh, that's my thing to look forward to. My, my intro to 2021. Yeah, it's New Year's Day and then every weekday at 3 p.m. Oh, lovely. It's a quiz show all about words, which sounds really boring, but it's actually really fun. I'll, get, I'll give it a go, mate. I'll give it a go. <laughs> so what are you wearing? Wow. Ooh, uh, I've got a red jumper on. Um, I've got a face mask bandana thing tied around my wrist. Right, okay. Some some jeans and um, a clown mask. Lovely. Mm. Just, just to top it off. So obviously, this is a music show. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to take you through sort of your introduction to music, what your songs pre-teens were, you know, what band got you into through your teenage years and then into adult life. Yeah. So if we if we just start off, what was the first music that you were aware of and how old were you? Um, the first music I, I, I really properly remember is probably Queen. Uh, my stepdad had a, a cassette, which he taped off the radio which is called A Tribute to Freddy, which is a, a documentary, I think probably Five Live or something like that, or BBC, that had been made just after Freddie Mercury died. Right. And they're like all cassettes and videos in the 90s. It was um, missing the first like 15 minutes maybe, or, or an, an, an indeterminate amount was missing. Right, okay. So I think I got, we started about midway through Queen. So uh, I just remember listening to all the songs and little stories about Freddie Mercury's life. So when I was a, I don't know, six, seven, eight years old, something that was like proper into Queen just because of that tape, really. Yeah, um, yeah. So and and just because my stepdad liked him, I think that's how everyone gets into music and into parents and stuff. Like you just you sort of you sort of just obsessed with those songs that you hear over and over again. Especially in that especially in the nineties when uh and I suppose this is true with films as well, when you just have CDs and tapes that you've bought, so you can only really listen and watch the same things over and over again. That's true. That's true. I think we, I think we're about the same age. Yeah, our, our generation is probably like the last generation of that. Where because before us, they didn't really have videos or whatever, so so you wouldn't watch the same films over and over again. Whereas we had this golden period where you had ten or maybe fifteen videos or DVDs that you just watched over and over again as a kid and knew by heart and came to music as well. Whereas now there's just unlimited options. So you can you kind of tend to just listen to it a few things a few things now. I think younger generation maybe do anyway. Yeah, it's quite interesting actually because I had a uh, I had a conversation with somebody last week and we were discussing about how music's kind of gone onto these digital platforms. So you don't really have that tangible thing in your hands anymore. Um, you know, people are flicking through between what different styles and bits and bobs of music that they like, and probably you know, like you say at the back end of that. What would you, what would we well nineties weren't we nineties early two thousands kids it's like those are the years where you would have like you say a finite amount of yeah material to work with and it's such a, it's such an effort to buy an album or buy anything to like 
if you're into a band, you had to go out and buy that album. And if you didn't like it, well, you just listen to it anyway until you did like it, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now, if you don't like the first few bars of a song or someone's haircut, you just, well, click onto the next YouTube video and you've got something else to, to not like. So true. So true. And, you know, gone are the days of being able to go into school with a bag full of CDs and just sort of swap them about as well. Have you heard this one? Yeah. I think it's shit. You out? Oh, have a go with this. We'll give us that one then. And Yeah. Yeah. Even piracy was really difficult then, wasn't it? It was like, like there was there was like there was like two or three <laughs> lads who sold CDs at school, and you could make like your own compilation, you know, before you could make your own one. And yeah, so you, had, yeah. you had to like there was a guy in our year called Taz, and you'd give him like a list of ten songs, and he'd say, "Oh, maybe you give him 11 and he'd say, "I probably only be able to get ten, but I might be able to get eleven on this CD." And then you wait two weeks, give him fifty p, and he'd come back. with nine songs because you couldn't fit them all on <laughs> yeah yeah and one of them was the wrong one and then you just got into that for on your little discman those are the days piracy <laughs> yeah piracy was hard then piracy is easy now you can just download one all the time and your computer just continuously got all sorts of illnesses from bear share yeah bear like... share and kazar and stuff yeah oh, do you remember downloading like you download again an album or a film and then like it'd spend like four hours to download one thing and then it'd actually be the wrong thing. It'd just be something else. That's something like not related to it at all. Yeah. I think I tried to download a porno once and it came out at like some pop album or something like that. It was gutted. It was just like with the title of the pop album on it. So, so what, what were the standout tracks from Queen for you then? Do you have any in particular tracks from that, the, the, the car journeys and the likes? I remember singing um, "You're My Best Friend" a lot. That was a that was a big one. That I just thought was really catchy. And it's um, a great tune. Yeah, and uh, "Fat Bottom Girls" was on it, which I just thought was hilar- a hilarious song. To... Of course, you did. You were six, seven, eight years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's just because you're just imagining fat bottom people on bikes. So what's not funny about that? It's, it's brilliant. What's not to like? But then, like stuff like Bohemian Rhapsody. I, I, like, at that age, I was sort of it felt like it was about 10 songs. Like yeah. if someone had said, have you heard Bohemian Rhapsody? I'd, I'd have had no idea what that was, but if you played it, I knew every word to it. Yeah. It's like everybody knew that outro didn't, well, not the outro as such, but the big bit from Wayne's world. And then, yeah, yeah. then you get people that are quoted the Scaramouche, Scaramouche Fandango bit. And yeah, it, it is a bit all chucked together in it. Yeah. And on, the, on that um, tribute thing, there was a, there was a little fact that that whole song was written in the bath. And it, and what, it, 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 Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, or maybe it's a different song. I can't remember. Maybe, maybe maybe maybe. Have a fact mixed up, but there's one song that was really successful that was written in a bath. And I, again, I remember thinking, that's so weird that you can make something so big just sat in the bath. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Probably why I've never written a hit because I shower. Yeah. It's to all the pen in it when you're in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And smoke. <laughs> fact, it's going out. The amount of laptops have ruined. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. So so you moved on from sort of that era then from your queen, and then we're moving to your three songs that represent your preteens. So you've listed three very different tunes here. To be honest, do you want to start off with? Have you got them in front of you? Which ones you've given in order? Or yeah, I've got them here. Um, Yeah, go go for it. So going back, going back to Queen though, I'd like to. Obviously, Queen's still around, so I'm still listening to Queen as everyone sort of forced to because it's still everywhere. But yeah, the three songs that represent my preteens. They're not necessarily my favourite songs, certainly the mm-hmm. first one, but they're just stuff that, I don't know, rem- the songs that remind me of things. So the first one, and people are probably going to laugh at this and probably turn off because this is the uncoolest song in the whole world, but um, do you remember Perfect Moment by Martin McCutcheon? Who doesn't? <laughs> yeah, uh, Tiffany from EastEnders for uh, the uh, initiated. So yeah. admittedly, this is not the best song in the world. Um, it's not my favourite at all. But there is a story to it. So when I was uh, 11, my mum and stepdad uh, told me they were getting divorced. Um, now, my stepdad had been around since I was two, so we were really close and stuff. And um, just as that was happening, my stepdad had somehow managed to bag tickets to the Champions League final in Barcelona in 99. Wow. Both massive Man United fans. So yeah. obviously it was a big deal. It was the Champions League final and Man United could win the treble. But it was also felt like it was sort of like um, the end of my childhood, really, even at that time, because this was like, 
it could have been the last trip that we went on. It, I, I didn't know what was going to happen after this blow up. It turns out we stayed in contact and stuff, but yeah, at the time yeah. we didn't know. And so United won the treble in like the most dramatic circumstances. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, my favourite player, scored the goal right in the last moment. It was amazing. And it was an amazing moment between me and him. And then after yeah. the game, we had the hire car and we sat in the hire car and I've got, I still have no idea why a Spanish radio station will play Perfect Moment by Martin. <laughs> but they did. And it was at that moment and it just, I don't know, it just, I listen to that song and it just makes me cry with like happiness. You know, it was, just, yeah. it was this perfect moment that happened. I think it was around in the charts to be fair at the time, but still, I, I wouldn't have thought Martin McCutcheon would travel across continental Europe very well. And actually, you've you've nailed this by the way because this is what this segment is about it's not this isn't about you know what what's cool and what kind of it what remind the the music that reminds you of these moments you know what documents your life so you nailed that there to be fair you you nailed it with a number one because that was her debut single and it was a number one. Oh, was it all right yeah but a lot of my united fans bought it that's why yeah <laughs> When did it, did it, was it out around then? Let's have a look. When was it out? It came out earlier than that, I think. Was it? All right, well. No, 99. 99. Right. So, yeah, it must have been. Well, her album, a debut album came out in the September, so I'm not sure what when, what month it came out, to be fair. Uh, I wonder if anyone else knows any other song apart from that one. She had four albums, eh? Uh, one was about Teddy Sheringham. <laughs> She released an album in 2017 that peaked at 17. Wow. She's still knocking around. Still knocking around, yeah. Well done, Martine. What's your second track, Tom? My second track, uh, Champagne Supernova by Oasis. Um, so, again, I think if you're pre-teens, you sort of like still, you're not into music as much. Well, I wasn't certainly until my teenage years. I remember I liked music, but not like, massively but with oasis i my cousin was like five years older than me so he was my hero um and he liked oasis so i liked oasis and i didn't really like understand any of the songs or anything i just remember someone telling me that champagne supernova was all about drugs and that slowly walking down the hall faster than a cannonball was how drugs make you feel sometimes and i thought that's Mm. the cleverest thing in the world when i was 10 or whatever and uh (laughs) and so so and so then i just I just liked Oasis and I liked listening to the words and little rhyming couplets and stuff and trying to understand them. And I mean, to be honest, a lot of Oasis lyrics, are, I think no, even Noel admits that some, a lot of them are gibberish sometimes, but I don't know that they all sort of mean something to everyone who's listening. So. Yeah. I think, I think they kind of got away with it though, didn't they? Um, at that time with the, the lyrics that they used and the way that they strung together, they, they you know, it was like, the vocal was a different instrument, wasn't it? Yeah. Whereas I think that you know you fast you fast forward to a couple, the more recent stereophonic stuff, for instance, and love them, love what they've done in the past. But you know some of his lyrics are absolutely garbage. Yeah, <laughs> awful. Yeah, I suppose that's why you write enough songs, you're gonna write some bad lyrics, yeah. aren't you? Yeah, I think one of his songs of past couple of years ago, all all in a night or something like that. He goes, "She's got a baby and a belly." I was like. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, come on! Yeah, I mean, look at the Arctic Monkeys now. They've gone from singing, being singing about everyone's life and being really hyper realistic to opening a restaurant on a, on the moon. <laughs> That's what drugs do to you. So that bit <laughs> yeah. about slowly walking down the hall, yeah, yeah, slowly walking down the hall. Now I live on the moon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and think I'm Elvis. <laughs> but your 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 third track. I mean, the the other two. And, you know, I get, I can understand where they come from. This next one is an absolute banger. <laughs> so I was just trying to remember my childhood. And the big thing, apart from Man United um, mm-hmm. and Matty McCutcheon, obviously, was uh, The Mask, the movie The Mask. I was like obsessed with Jim Carrey and specifically The Mask. Yeah. And there's a song in it um, called Cuban Pete. Um, it's the song where, if people have seen the film, where he's, in the park and he's about to get arrested by like a thousand police officers and then just start singing. I'm the king of the rumba beat. 
and when I was a kid, I loved that song so much. And I used to sing it all the time. I used to do impressions of the mask like when I was in school or to adults or just any time to basically get attention because I love attention. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that song was a way to do it. I remember asking my mum if I could go on stars in their eyes to sing <laughs> Cuban Pete in the mask. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. I really wish you'd done that. I'm glad she'd said no because that, that would be. I think I'd, I think I'd still be haunted by it, but but like as I, as I mentioned earlier before, like I work in TV now. If I was working on Stars in Their Eyes and someone came in and said, "I want to do Cuban Pete," that's in the mask, I'd be like, "Get this person on." That's like definitely that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, even if it's just for my own enjoyment, if yeah. it don't go out, yeah, absolutely, yeah. No, I had to go. I had to go and do some research on who actually sang it. And it was a guy called. Desianas. Mm. I did the same. To um, be honest, I, I, I didn't. I didn't actually know the title until I thought about this podcast and what song I'd choose. <laughs> yeah, but he's not. He's not got the most elaborate of um, discographies. This chap, but uh, Cuban Pete can definitely go up there as a as an all time banger for me. I just I listened to it just then before you came on. I thought oh, this is a cracker. There. If, if, if anything, as long all I want from this podcast is that people go away. Watch The Mask, because it's maybe the greatest film ever made, and then go and dial, dive in to Marty McCutcheon's four albums. That is it. So we're moving into we're moving there through your through your preteens. We're just gonna sort of say what what band did you sort of touch on then? Where where did you go? What was the standout band for you sort of preteens? Uh again, it was Oasis for me. Um I mean it was the mid nineties, so they were there was there was three bands I remember when I was a kid and it was Oasis, the Spice Girls, and take that. And yep. before I even knew what music I liked or whatever, I knew that I didn't like pop music. I wasn't into take that straight away because my mum liked take that, so I didn't want to be into them. And I didn't like the Spice Girls because as an eight or nine year old lad, I was like there for girls. So it was just Oasis. And again, my cousin's influence and stuff. Yeah. I was into them. And then we're getting the uh, What's the Story Morning Glory album. I could set. I think that was my first album, and uh, I played it a lot. Uh, yeah. I got the Smurfs album as well for the same Christmas uh, by the Did same you... person. The same person bought me two cassettes. Right, I think maybe I was ten, maybe or nine or something. Uh, it came out ninety five, and it's all yeah, probably about probably about nine or ten. And um, yeah, the same person, my mum's friend, bought me. It was it was wrapped up in one present, <laughs> and it was Oasis and the Smurfs. And even then, I remember thinking. These are wildly different. <laughs> even my first two albums, even I knew at the time, like these are poles apart in terms of quality. Did you ever remember the um, Britannia music catalogue? No. Right. People used to be able to sign up to this Britannia music catalogue. And what they'd do is if you told them what genre of music you liked, they'd send you, it was like a subscription thing and they'd send you out a cassette. So what right. what this sounds like to me is that somebody has been part of Britannia Music, yeah? They've got you what's the story, and then Smurfs has popped up. Oh, we'll stick that in with it as well. Go on, you can have that one. I, I like to think it was buy one, get one free, and then I'm trying to work out which one they thought I would like and which one was free. What did they intend? Oh, yeah, what did they intend on giving you? That's it, isn't it? I remember the Smurfs one was like covers. Well, they're not going to fucking written their own, are they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't all about what life was like, like a really introspective album about being a Smurf. Yeah. I'm blue, da ba dee oh, <laughs> damn it. Shit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, every every song was a cover version, but I don't even remember the Smurfs, but basically they used to just say Smurf instead of nouns or verbs. They would just put Smurf in the middle of a sentence, like, I'm Smurfing, that's Smurfing, ridiculous Smurf. <laughs> so all of the songs were that, so they were... So, Whatever the lyrics were in the song, they just replaced everything with Smurf. I think Gina G was one of them. Ooh, ah, just a little bit. It was ooh, ah, just a little Smurf. Ooh, ah, a little Smurf more. Oh. Which is a great way to... I mean, I suppose if you were writing songs for Smurfs, it'd be very easy to rhyme. But yeah, so that was... Um, yeah, let's stop talking about the Smurfs because they're not my favourite band. But Oasis, let's go back to Oasis. Yeah. So Because I've got a, a, a story about Oasis that um, I was at... I saw their last ever gig at the V Festival in 2009. And beforehand, 
Um, I think you might be there actually. No, I was it 2000. No, I think I I went with you 2008. It was the year before. I, that was the last time I went to V when it was the oh, right. when it was the Verve and Kings of Leon yeah. and all that. Yeah, that was 2008. Yeah. yeah. So the next year, Oasis were on, and um, <laughs> me and my mate decided to start a rumor that Oasis had split up. Because at the time there were there was well it was ended up being last ever gig but there was a lot of rumors quite a lot of the time that they were arguing and stuff so we decided to start a rumor that they split up and cancelled the gig and a few people believed it um, but not many and uh, I, I remember a journalist coming over and um, she said what's this you've heard about ways splitting up and I said oh yeah we set the scene here Tom on this point because I can picture where you're sat at this point so. Every, every time you went to V, you always had a VIP. Yeah, yeah, because I'm a wanker, so I always went VIP. Uh, my friend, um, Jack, our mutual friend, he uh, he works at V Festival and used to get me VIP tickets. So I'm in the VIP section, or maybe even outside of it, just telling people that um, they split up. And then, so a music journalist ended up getting wind of it, coming over and dismissed it as an obvious lie, which it was, and, you know, I was were very you know, in a bad state at this point, it's Saturday afternoon, music festival, I've been there a couple of days. <laughs> and anyway, they, so she dismissed the rumour and went off on her way. And obviously Oasis played the gig because it was a lie. But the way V Festival works is they'll play in Stafford on the Saturday and then Chelmsford on the Sunday. And so they did actually cancel on the Sunday. And so the Saturday was the last ever Oasis gig. So we'd started this room this split up and then, and then they did for the next day. And I often think that that journalist was thinking, why didn't I listen to that pissed up knobhead? Just go with it and, and at least investigate it. Or, or maybe, or maybe she did investigate it. And then that is what led to him splitting up. I don't know. But, but yeah. So, so he went from the Smurfs being <laughs> liking Oasis because they weren't the Smurfs to, yeah possibly contributing to their downfall. I think there'd be some people that aren't very happy with you about that, Tom. Yeah, and, and you know what? I regret it a lot because I love Oasis. I, I personally, I, I, you know, I'm not sure whether... I, I've had my conversation on this channel and uh, I don't know whether... Well, mine should be out before yours, so people will probably already be chucking rocks at me, but my opinion of Oasis is that they'd, they'd more than peaked by that point anyway, so... Oh, yeah, definitely. I don't think they were going to get better. No. No, um, no. And if you look at the respective solo albums, I don't think they are getting better as songwriters or as performers. But no. But I, suppose, I think it's more interesting maybe that they've split up because at least there's some variety now. Like Noel's albums are a little bit different to what he was just churning out of Oasis, which is sort of like Oasis light, I suppose. I mean. Yeah. And Liam's got his group of songwriters that are obviously trying to keep him in that oasis type vibe aren't they to uh to appeal to his masses but uh yeah and we've always, and we've always got twitter to see them arguing as well i know yeah you don't think they're in the 50s would you <laughs> i'd like i'd like them to get back together once no, just so just, no. just so the rumors stop about when are they going to get back together one gig and they do it once and then everyone goes but they do it really badly that's what they should do is get but get back together make a billion pounds do it so badly that no one wants it anymore yeah. and then those guys stop getting asked about it all the time I, I just wonder well led zeppelin got back together in 2007 for that concert albeit without john bonham but you know there was always them rumors that they'd never get back together and they did it for that show i think they mm. people tried to i think they the system tried to process two and a half million tickets for a 20,000 seat <laughs> arena in, within minutes. But, you know, I can see that thing happening with Oasis. I don't, I, I think it will be a nostalgic thing. I don't think the Stone Roses getting back together was, was a great thing personally. I, th yeah. I, enjoy, I went to Heaton Park, I had a good day, threw up on my mate's wellies. I think I saw you, I saw you. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was, I was very, uh, very poorly by about two or three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> And then I ended up down in the pit right at the front when the Stone Roses were on. And uh, I turned to my right and there's a guy in a wheelchair in the middle of the pit, like not in the disability access. And he's just smoking this big joint. And he's like, I'm having a fucking great time. And I was like, I sat there with him for a bit. Turned out that he was a friend of somebody that I knew. So we helped him uh, helped him on his way after the show. And Great. I watched um, the, the Bross documentary yesterday. 
Uh, I've never seen it before. I'm a bit late to the party. Have you watched it? Yeah. And about about their comeback. Yeah. At first, I was like, "Is this is this a piss take or is it a real documentary?" And it is really, and they're just. I mean, if anyone should never have got back together, it's those two people. They just hated each other. <laughs> I know. And when he's shouting orders at him on his drum kit when they're in that rehearsal room, he's yeah. like, not got a pot to piss in one of them, and the other one's rocking up in a Rolls Royce. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. Well, like the, one who, the singer, I can't remember what the names are. I don't know, what's it yesterday? But the singer was like, at first, I was like, oh, he's just David Brent. Yeah, and I thought, oh, what a dickhead. Like, And I felt sorry for the other guy. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it swung around. I was like, oh, no, wait, he's the dickhead. Now I understand why he's a dickhead to him, because he's just always a dickhead. But then I realized, oh, no, wait, they're both dickheads. <laughs> both dickheads. Both. Yeah. And he's in shit films, isn't he, the other one? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's in loads of rubbish films. Yeah. I liked, I liked the bit where they came back to Britain and they'd obviously staged it. They were like, right, let's get all the mental Bross fans at the airport. As if like that just happens every time they come back to Britain. Yeah. There's like 500 people ready to meet them. Everybody should watch that Bross documentary. It is funny. It is funny. I put it off for too long and, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I love the bit where he said, the word, the letters H O M E, they just personify home to me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, they spell home to you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's a picture of my bulldog. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I had him painted holding a pint of beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just trying to show everyone that he's really British. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is a what's he on about? This is a chair where I sit down sometimes and just reflect, and it's just yeah. just a chair, mate. Sit down. I know chairs work. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I'm gonna watch that again. It is good. When, when there's a bit where I go, we, we we just had to do it just just for the fans because they deserve it. You know, I've never, I don't think I've ever met anyone ever who said, you know, what I really like Bros. Yeah. But do you know that he's ridiculously famous in America, and he's had like a residency in Las Vegas for years and years and years. Yeah. Makes, makes an absolute packet. But uh, yeah, just as Matt Goss. Which band would you if if I don't know why I'm asking, I'm asking the questions now, but I'm, I'm asking the questions now, Jonathan. Go, go, go. Which band would you most want to get back together? I, I I don't know. I'm not a big fan of bands getting back together. I was really happy to see Doves got back together. All right. I thought that that was a good move. Um, I don't know. I think that some 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 big bands stop for a reason, don't they? And I yeah. think trying to force things back back together. So I'll be... You'll never get that magic back, will you? I don't think it's ever worked. Like a band has never got back together and then made their best stuff. No, no. So moving on to the next bit. Uh, moving to your teenage years now. Obviously, Oasis, you're going to carry them through in some way or another. But uh, this is kind of like where I probably got to know you. I think, uh, and your, your, your teenage years. So, what sort of scene were you part of? What what image did you have? Um. I think in school, most of my mates were into rap and R&B and stuff. I think out of my mates, I was the only one into bands like Oasis and people like that. And then when I left school and started college, um, I, uh, I joined a band that um, I did my three three people that I, I sort of knew from school. Um, they went on to be really good mates of mine, but at the time I sort of knew them but weren't really that close to them. They'd started a band, so I sort of just hinted at him that oh maybe i'll come and write some songs for you because i knew they were struggling with lyrics so and they, they said yeah yeah, come and write us some songs and then i said oh I'll, I'll sing this one for you so you know it goes and then sort of just forced my way in really <laughs> i just I, I i'm singer <laughs> yeah, yeah well they, they had a singer but um i mean none of us would good none of, we were all rubbish um the guy was a singer he, he, he only, he'd only really just started learning guitar and he couldn't really play the guitar and sing at the same time. So I became the singer and uh, we'd go to my mate's shed and practice and make loads of noise and annoy all the neighbours and then argue because someone was making mistakes and then, yeah, smoke cigarettes and get pissed and go out around town, really. But the, I think the, I think it was, it was amazing. We loved it. We played a few gigs, but we spent more time, I think, trying to tell everyone that we're in a band rather than actually practicing or writing songs or doing the music bit i think that's the bit that we really liked was 
the fact that we're in a band. <laughs> I think most teen- teenagers do that, don't they? Get in a band for saying they're in a band. So yeah, yeah, just just so we could chat up girls. In- what was the, what was the band called? So uh, they'd already had a name before I joined. So they're called White Suede. That was it. That was it. I nearly, I nearly, I'm sat here and I'm going. Were they called White Spirit? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're called White Suede, but. Um, one of the lads, again, before I joined, had written it all across this shed. And by shed, it was a, it was a big old shed. It could, you could fit like 20 people in it. It was a big shed. It was for keeping birds in. Nope. Anyway, written right across the shed was White Suede. But whoever had written it couldn't spell suede. So it was S-W-A-D-E. Right. And I remember, I remember joining going, that name's got to change. That's terrible. And they said, why? And I said, because it's spelled wrong. And, and they'd been in a band for like three months at a time, and none of them had realised they'd spelled it wrong. <laughs> And they said, we can't change it now. We've got a MySpace page. Oh, <laughs> no. To sell it. But my argument was, but if people are going to find your MySpace page, they need to be able to know how it's spelt. So if you hear someone say white suede, you'll spell it normally, right? Yeah. But yeah, their nine followers on MySpace apparently trumped my uh, my argument to change the band, band name. Eventually, I think we changed it very briefly before the very end to the Riverside, but we didn't actually do anything as we when we were called the Riverside. That was a pub on uh, Chester Road, the Riverside, years ago. Yeah, yeah, there was. Um, I think our first gig was in the Highwayman, uh, which oh, is yeah. a pub that doesn't exist anymore. And uh, one of the guitarists, the other guitarist, um, as soon as we got there, one of his guitar strings broke and no one had brought any spare guitar strings. So it was delayed by about an hour. Pure Axl Rose we were. And uh, oh. <laughs> so <laughs> delayed an hour was just friends family and a few mates and then what else went wrong then something else happened i think the football was on or something like that i think the football was on the other room so yeah basically we were delayed for two reasons for ages and then we played and we were awful we didn't have a bass player even though we desperately needed one just because we didn't know anyone who had a bass so we just didn't have a bass player um yeah we were really really it's always the last it's always the last slot people feel like it right right i've got a guitar for christmas right i got drums Nobody got a bass for Christmas. Yeah, exactly. I got my cousin to come round because he, he said he could play bass and he turned up and he didn't have a bass. Uh, yeah. Another one of the lads, another, one of their mates said he could come and play bass and he turned up and he was like, oh yeah, I can't play bass. He just lied to, just to get in the room and I don't, I don't know what he, what he thought would happen once he got in the shed that like yeah. he'd just learn how to play it there. But yeah, we're very bad. Um, but And then I suppose the rest of our teenage years, most I think about music is just going to gigs, going to festivals and having a good mm. time. And yeah, that's, that's what I mostly did really. I, 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 I was at, um, went to watch We Are Scientists with our mutual friend Tom Meachin. And they had their, the lead singer said, if anyone throws any clothes on the stage, I'll wear them. And so I'll tell you that. So the, the way Meachin tells the story is he thought, I know, I'll ask Solon to take off his underpants and he can throw the stage. That's something he'd do. And he looked at me and I already had my underpants in my hand by the time he thought of it. <laughs> so I threw my so boxes at the stage and he put them on his head and it was very funny. Anyway, we carried on with the gig and then later, loads of people were like crowd surfing. So I thought, oh, maybe, maybe I'll... No, again, it was me to me. She said, Solon, why don't you go crowd surfing? I'll lift you up. So I was like, what a brilliant idea. That sounds very fun. So he lifted me up, and as soon as he lifted me up, he pulled my jeans down. Then <laughs> <laughs> so I can't surf all the way to the front. Just all my tackle hanging out. And, uh, yeah, I got, I got over, and uh, the bouncers were very close to chucking me out. And I was like, it's not my fault, it's not my fault. I fell down while I was doing it. <laughs> a crowd surf would be tackle out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, um, and a lot of uh, people grabbing different things while I was walking, or, or trying to avoid different things as well. Oh yeah, ooh, ooh. that was my teenage years. Yeah, being in a terrible band and getting a knob out. <laughs> great, great. Hit me with three, three songs that represent your teenage years. So again, I've got, I've got three quite different ones here. Um, the first one I don't know if I've talked about bands a lot, but the first one is one that I think is maybe my favourite song ever. Is "Stand" by Eminem. Yep. So I got the Marshall Mavis LP for Christmas one year, and then. Uh, it was off my stepdad. This was after the divorce, and um, which I think was probably a 
something to piss my mum off, basically. I think that's why he bought it me, which it, right. which it did. <laughs> it wound up a lot. Successful. Yeah, and uh, I listened to it. I just, I just doing your teenager, just listened to it a lot. Um, knew all the words and stuff. But Stan, it's just, it's just lyrically, it's such an amazing song. Like, it's got, yeah. it's got, um, the way he develops the characters and speaks as different characters, obviously. And the, like, the emotion of the song, the anger and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. Even the fact that I was, as I was writing this, I was thinking, even the fact that Stan, the character in the song, is such a horrible guy. He's, a, you know, he murders his girlfriend. But you sort of feel sorry for him as he's doing it. And you kind of feel empathetic and stuff. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, I just, I love that song. And since then, I've started doing that as a, um, a karaoke song. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I remember the first time I did it, but I did it because I thought it'd be really funny to do it because I thought it'd be hard and it's not really a karaoke song. It turns out I'm actually quite good at doing it as karaoke because, good lad, because I've heard it so much. And yeah. I've done it, I've, I've now done it twice at christenings where I was the godfather. So two different people have asked me to be christened to two different kids, which is mental, right. really, because I'm, I'm yeah. not very... Uh, considering. Yeah, yeah, considering my personality. And the fact that I keep singing Stan at the christenings, things, yeah. I probably won't be asked again. But yeah, one of them, I remember, one of them went terribly um, because all the family were still there and they were very angry about it, like uh, like my friends, mums and dads and stuff. But the next one, we went to a pub afterwards and um, that one went better because it was just sort of mates and uh yeah no grandparents and stuff there so it was a bit it was a bit more al- allowed <laughs> still a christening <laughs> it's still a christening oh yeah absolutely still a christening. <laughs> but if you're gonna sing it at a christening make sure the grandparents aren't there that's what that would be my one of the big things of advice that i've learned in my life if you're gonna sing stan at a christening as the godfather don't forget as the godfather Make sure the grandparents have gone home. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wait till the end. Don't do it at the start. It's not an opener. This is full of life advice. This is <laughs> there's some belters here. But they, unfortunately, my other karaoke song is "It's Raining Men." So where do you fit that in? Again, it's, it's I suppose it's a I suppose it's an older crowd that you can have that one. Yeah, and you could do a little bit of. I don't know you could do a bit of a show with that, couldn't you? Yeah, it's quite an upbeat, showy type song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll merge the two together, make a little medley. Oh, great, great. <laughs> we'll have a look. We'll have a look at see if we can sort you the backing track. Yeah. <laughs> so your, ne- your next tracks are a, a banger. Yeah, um, I had to get something from the Arts and Monkeys in there. Uh, they came out when I was a teenager, and like I loved them. I, I like the wish. I mean, their first album was so big, and every everyone everyone. Well, I mean, I knew about. I think we were the kind of age where we sort of knew all the Arctic Monkeys songs before they came out because of MySpace and stuff. They were really big on MySpace, I remember, and MSN Messenger. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was mad on Arctic Monkeys, and that's what we tried to be in that band. I was just ripping their songs off, really, trying to write songs about songs that they'd already written about. Yeah. Well, the song of – I could have gone from any from the first album, but I'm going for Red Light Indicates Doors Are Secured. Um, just because – as a storyteller, again, um, Alex Turner's fantastic at writing lyrics. This one is really good because it, it, all the lyrics take place from people having a conversation in a taxi on the way home from a night out. Yeah. And I just think it, it summed up every night out I'd been on at that point, just going around town and chatting up girls and people nearly but not quite getting in fights and you know, trying to run off from taxis and getting in like a little bit of trouble, but not really. And Yeah. Yeah, it's, it just it sort of summed up my late teenage years, I suppose. What's your, um, what's your third track? Okay, so I think um, I think you'll remember. Right, pause, pause before you say this, actually. I said when, I, when, um, when you'd reached out to get the messages, uh, the questions for this, for this show, and um, Martin said to me, oh, Tom's, Tom's, ask for these questions and i said any money <laughs> in his answers he will list this song that you're about to say <laughs> you know and i'm right you know what i did do it and and partly it's because i love the song but also partly it's because i knew you would listen to this i knew <laughs> that you i think you were obsessed with the fact that i was obsessed with this song <laughs> i was he was just yeah, I, I did love the song, but I think I recommended it to you about ten times. I think that was the problem. 
Um, so it's the Mooney Suzuki, who um, they're not like a massive band, and they had a big hit of a fair hit called Alive and Amplified, which is a yeah, it was a one hit wonder, but it was such a good song. I can't believe they're not a massive band. Um, I saw it first. I saw them on Jonathan Ross, I think, and it must have been two thousand four or five, maybe. And I was like, these are the best band in the world. These are these these are going to be huge. They're amazing. And I went to see him in Manchester, they're an American band. Yeah. And I got their album. I, listened, I went to see him in Manchester. There was like hardly anyone there in the smallest academy room. And now you can't even get um, the album Alive and Amplified on streaming sites. I don't know why. But um, yeah, they didn't They didn't hit the dizzying heights that I thought they would do. But honestly, everyone, rec- you should listen to this song. It, you might recognize it. I think it was on, maybe it was on an advert or something. But it just it's just such an upbeat song. It just does things to my soul i just want to jump about as soon as i hear it. it's brilliant yeah it's quality and they look cool as fuck as well didn't they yeah yeah they were proper new york and uh yeah they, they had like stage they had, show was ridiculous yeah they had flares i remember i think that was sort of just before no one was allowed to wear flares ever again <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh until the blossoms brought them back but yeah they have flares and, and they looked a bit 70s and they they're a real guitar band, and they were—they were just, yeah, they were sort of a bit alien to me at that point. All I wanted to listen to was bands from England. I wasn't interested in anything from America, like no. Well, apart from Eminem, maybe. But in terms of bands, I wanted Manchester, if possible. Yeah, ideally Northwest. Yeah, a push Northern. Not e- not interested in any bands from London at that point. <laughs> but there was this one from New York that just I just loved. <laughs> yeah, they were great on the. Um... We put a Spotify or, you know, a, we'll put a streaming playlist together to coincide with this podcast. Okay. Um, so we'll, we'll make sure that we get that on there. Um, I've just found it on Apple Music as we're talking, so I'm just saving that for when we come off this chat. Yeah, I think, there's, I think that song in the, is on there. And, like, three, they've got three other songs from that album that are, are streamable. But, but the whole album is just not there for some reason. No, they've got a Lied and Amplified EP online, and that's it. They've not got the... <laughs> I used to show me a link for their video and they're just all still psychedelic. So what's your band of your teenage years then after all those? Um, I was tempted to go with Oasis again because I think if you asked a teenage me what's who's the, your favourite band, it would have been Oasis. But because I've already had them, I'm going to have to go with the Arctic Monkeys just because yeah. they came out in my teenage years and they were just singing songs about my life it's it, especially yeah. the first album every single song just seemed like yes this is what is happening to me right now you know going on a night out and pretending to be a rock star and but not quite and you know and because they influenced my terrible band so much that uh yeah it's, it's like I, I i um i tried to copy their songs a lot but i failed miserably yeah i may as well have Tried to draw the Sistine Chapel with a biro. <laughs> yeah, the Arctic Monkeys are the, the Arctic Monkeys are they're, they're a class act, are they? You know, they were they were very very influential on a lot of people around that time. I think that I I well, my, I'm only two or three years older than you, and I think that I'm just the other side of the cusp with the Arctic Monkeys. I think that they sort of influence the people that are just younger than me because I was kind of like, I get I get it, love it, great, but they weren't like one of those prominent bands that that you know could take over that. You know, that moniker of my, my favourite band of my teenage years. I think it was because we were just singing about real things. And, I mean, I know that like at the time as well, I was I was well into uh, oh, right, John okay. Cooper Clark. Yeah, know, yeah. The punk poet from, like, the 70s and 80s. And, I mean, since then I found out that Alex Turner was also heavily influenced by him. And I remember when I first listened to the Arctic Monkeys, I was also listening to John Cooper Clark a lot and thought, wow, these are so similar. And it wasn't until ages later I found out they were really well he was but you as a person you've always been really into writing haven't you you've been very creative in that element so yeah i like i like writing things and um writing jokes and stuff and but unfortunately i'm nowhere near as good as (laughs) no exactly stand out in the field but it's uh you know i can understand why that kind of thing would have appealed to you yeah i think when it comes to music i've always been lyrics have been the most important thing in I mean, obviously the music has got to be good, but 
I've got to listen to lyrics that make me think about things and make me, make me, mostly make me smile and make me laugh. I really like jokes in lyrics, not necessarily comedy bands, but and there's a lot of that in Arctic Monkeys. There's a lot, a lot of their lyrics are really funny, and a lot of play on words and stuff. And Eminem is the same. And this this is a perfect yeah. segue because I'd say that the next tune, which is the first track from your adult years, this is more about the music, this track, yeah. than the lyrics. Yeah, it, yeah, it is actually. Um, so, uh, Kasabian, Bumblebee. Um, Kasabian, for me, they're the best live band I've ever seen yeah. and probably will ever see. I don't think because, you know, gigs are never going to exist again. Don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully they will. Hopefully they will. Well, anyway, Bumblebee by Kasabian is just such a good live song. It's just, it, it starts off low and it just it just goes so big. It doesn't start off low. It starts off yeah. big, but it goes off yeah. big and gets even bigger. Um, and I, I saw them a lot since being a teenager like well so i'm as a teenager as well but i must have seen him 11 or 12 times now because i love watching him live so much and that song is just it's just the peak of live music for me i love it so i've, I've got to get that song in there. i've got to get Sabian in here somewhere i've got to have that song um in fact i at they their last album for crying out loud they also released as part of it a live gig from the king power stadium from when Leicester league which i went to which was an amazing gig obviously the yeah. was amazing because leicester just won the league and, and i've had to ban myself from listening to that album while driving because when bumblebee comes on i can't help myself i close my eyes and start headbanging and it's really dangerous <laughs> right yeah it's such a good song that it's actually da- yeah. it's endangered my life um it's just it's the way that they've introduced the song into their set though because obviously they open with it but they're off stage at this time aren't they and i remember their glastonbury appearance where they came out and they i think was it 48 18 or whatever that album was called i can't remember the numbers but they they obviously had their stage set out in that theme didn't they with the you know those colors and the likes and remember there being this big countdown on the screen for them coming on stage and as they're as they're coming on they've got like the first track then from this album i can't remember what you you can find this album online like tom says uh but then when bumblebee just kicks in it's just like fuck off have that in the face how do you like that and i just remember the whole thing just and I've just watched a video of it this morning and it gave me goosebumps. I was like, can you imagine being there when that goes off? It'd just be, well, you were, so. Yeah, yeah. I think it, um, someone said to me once that uh, if it was a big music promoter that, you know, Simon Moran, and because I was talking about Kasabian, he said he loves Kasabian because all they do is write anthems. So as a live band, that's all they've got. They're not bothered about the slow songs. They just want to write anthems yeah. to make people have fun. So as a live band, that, that's that's what you want, I think. There's, there's very there's like maybe one song in the set where they go, we're just going to slow it down just for a minute, and then it is a yeah. minute, and then it goes off. Again. Well, they're, they're just like like Simon says there. They you know they're built for the live stage, aren't they? Which is a shame, you know, because I don't think they'll ever be the same again. I think that they'll carry on in a certain element, but I I don't think that they they'll ever be the same again. But yeah, it's very sad what's happened with yeah. Tom Main and stuff. And for, for I don't want to say it's tainted their music because I still love the music, but I sort of feel a little bit guilty when I think, oh, I'll listen to that Kasabian album. Like, Should I listen to Kasabian album again? But then I think the music is still amazing music, even though he's done, he's made obviously a big mistake. I think the thing with the Kasabian was that with the Kasabian story is that Serge is as strong a character in that band as Tom. Um, and I think that that's where yeah. it might be able to, to be able to give it, or he might do his SLP thing or whatever it is that he's been doing. I really enjoyed that SLP album. I went, I went to see that live as well last year. And that was, a, that was a great gig considering that I think the album had only come out like mm-hmm. three days before and everyone was just, everyone at the gig was like singing the words back to him straight away and stuff. Second song. Yeah, second song is a soundtrack of my adult years. Um, again, a bit of a weird one. I wouldn't say it's my favourite song or anything, but uh, George Ezra I'm going for, Pretty Shining People. Um, so I spent a bit of time travelling around Thailand a few years ago, and uh, Staying at Tamara's, one of his albums, was uh, 
It's just right. I, I was always listening to it really. Um, so it's, a, it's an album about backpacking and meeting people and going around and traveling the world and meeting different characters and stuff. And, and it just reminds me of that time of listening to that and and doing the things that he's singing about as well. I was going to say it sounds like the perfect soundtrack, lad. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It, it sort of sort of just really fit with what I was doing anyway. Um, and also that Ed Sheeran perfect song was on every radio in the world, and I just wanted to not listen to that. Again, it's more of an album, really, rather than a track. But that whole album, just every time I listen to it now, or, or a single song of it, it just makes me think of the fun things, the people I met, the weird adventures that I got in, and it just just makes me happy, really. Great. And the next one's probably the same. Um, the next one is a weird one because initially I really like this song, so it's uh, "Uptown Funk" by Mark Ronson slash Bruno Mars. And it is a good song, and I'm not saying it's a bad song. It's never been my favourite song. But the reason that I've chosen it is because it has literally <laughs> soundtracked my life because um, I've, uh, I, I do a lot of TV work, like I said earlier, and um, I do a lot of edits, and a lot of those have been at CBBC or BBC Sport or whatever. And that song is on every <laughs> VT in the world ever. At any, at any one time, that is on 10 VTs. Like on yeah. low, right? So I've listened to that song and edited that song. I'm not exaggerating a billion <laughs> times, right? So it has actually soundtracked my life. And as, although, like I said, I originally liked the song. Now I can't stand it because I know every beat of it. I know every single minuscule detail of it because I've cut it and recut it and put different things on it. And so I'm going to put that in because it reminds me of. Yeah, just just every moment of my working life. <laughs> you've, got, you've you've got it broken up into about a thousand different pieces on your laptop, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and like I said, it's a good song, but now I hate it. You can't listen to a song that many times and still enjoy it, unfortunately. But you can't. It's also because it's such a good song. It's all. It's just always going to be on TV and stuff, so you can never really get away from it. Bit like um, what was it, Whamageddon? That was this. That... Yeah, yeah, yeah. For December. Yeah, I bet if you do that for Uptown Funk, it'd last. No one in the world would last longer than about fifteen seconds. So my my missus does this Whamageddon thing with a with a cousin and a just, you know that a group of cousins and their mates and stuff like that, and they they oh who's 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 up for Whamageddon? And uh, on on the first of December, Ailey's working in the kitchen because we're working from home at the minute, so we've got this desk set up at the back of the kitchen, and she's she's working away on that. And I walked in and I just went Alexa. Oh, hang on, it's set it off now. Once. <laughs> So, so I said, Alexa, play Art Christmas. So, Heart Christmas, come on. And the first song was Last Christmas, Wham. <laughs> and Haley sat there and she's working and she's concentrating on something. And then she's like, Once bitten and twice shout. <laughs> Fucking hell, John. <laughs> Out. It was like half eight on the first day. It's like, yes, <laughs> cash back. How long do you reckon you could realistically get? You'd have to. The only way you could win that is if you didn't listen to any radio or watch any TV for the full month. No, you'd have to, you'd have to, you'd have to ignore it all, wouldn't you? Yeah. You just have to stick your head in the sand. Yeah. yeah. So your band of your adult years, we've touched on this, I reckon. Yeah, we're gonna. Uh... Um, I think that I think they've gone. They are now, and they have been for a while. My favorite band ever, and it's Kasabian. I just, I just love them. I think, especially as a live band, and every album i'd listen to it as soon as it comes out i'll go and listen to it and i just feel like every song is written for me it just every single one is for me is amazing i don't know not everyone they're not everyone's cup of tea but i just love them so much they're brilliant song that makes you cry tom come on well it's weird that you said this one because before i even knew you were doing podcasts only two three weeks ago there's a song that literally made me cry and not me do but um it's quite not a very well-known song but stereophonics um, I've got a song called Before Anyone Knew Our Name and it's about it's Kelly writing about his friendship with Stuart Cable who is their old drummer who, who left the band this, I think they sacked him from the band because of alcohol and drug problems and stuff and then a few years later he, he died and that song is about their friendship before they became famous and it's obviously an incredibly sad song um, and there's, Kelly Jones just brought a, a live album out 
called Don't Let the Devil Take Another Day. And the live version of that song, he, he tells stories before and before he writes the song. And oh my God, it's so, such a sad song. But for some reason, and I don't know why this is, every time I listen to that song, and there's a few other songs about this, they remind me of my friend who I was in a band with, who isn't dead. Right. But Oh, that's good. He's, he's very much alive. But good. every time I listen to a, a, a song like that or, or, or a sad song, I think about him and for some reason my mind goes to us being really good in this band, making it big, and then him dying. And it just gives me this weird, horrible feeling, which is going to sound mental and like I'm really self-obsessed. But the, in an alternate reality, we did make it as a band and he did die. And then I got this magic wish that I could turn it all back. <laughs> and I don't know why, you know, like in TV and films and stuff, they sometimes do that. And I just always have this weird feeling whenever I hear that song that that's real, which it obviously almost certainly isn't. So you, we'll, we'll move on through the next few parts now. We've got a, a song that makes you nostalgic. Yeah. So this is a tough one, really, because um, I think there's so many options, really, because so many, that's what music does, isn't it? It takes you back to your, where you were when you first heard the song or where you was really into that song. Yeah, yeah. So many different options. And the reason I've chosen this song, again, it's not my favourite song, but it's sort of nostalgic for two reasons. So the song is by The Beautiful South. And it's called Rotterdam. But it reminds me of a childhood because my mum used to listen to it a lot, like all the time. And again, my stepdad listened to it a lot. So it was just always seemed to be on that Beautiful South album, um, like, along with Queen. So and it was one of those, it, they're one of those bands that it's easy to memorise the lyrics to the songs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's easy to sing along to and stuff. Um, so it always reminds me of that. But then it also reminds me of, my girlfriend, um, when we first got together a few years ago, we had a day in in my garden. It was a really sunny day. And it was just a really nice day in the sun. And we were listening to Beautiful South. So the only reason I've chose this one over any others is that it reminds me of two good times in my life rather than just one. Um, yeah, so, so that's why it's the most nostalgic, I suppose. A, a, a double whammy. A double whammy. Whamageddon. Um, Favourite movie because of its music. Yeah, so... My first thought was that it's got to be Tarantino movie because if anyone, because all Tarantino's movies are amazing musically. Mm-hmm. And frankly, if anyone doesn't choose a Tarantino movie, then they're incorrect. That's okay. Oh, okay. We, you heard it here first. Yeah. So I don't know what anyone else has chosen. I'm not necessarily on the podcast, but if you're not chosen Tarantino, you can fuck off. Okay. So I could have chosen any. I could have chosen any Tarantino. I could have chosen Reservoir Dogs. Because I mean, their soundtrack's amazing. They've got the stuck in the middle scene, which is iconic, obviously. Yeah. Um, Pulp Fiction has the dance scene and amazing soundtrack throughout. It's got a great soundtrack. Kill Bill has got an amazing soundtrack. They've all got amazing soundtracks. But I'm going to have to go with Django Unchained. The soundtrack of that movie. I mean, the movie's brilliant. It's maybe my favorite ever movie. It's certainly my top five. But yeah. the soundtrack of that is absolutely brilliant. It's the only soundtrack that i've downloaded as an album and listened to multiple times and it's amazing it's one of my favorite ever albums which is mental for a soundtrack but it has so many good songs that rick ross 100 black coffins is amazing it just captures the moment so perfectly and it's cool as fuck even to listen to it on its own regardless yeah you know the film um his name was king was i've looked this up it's from an earlier western but there is a character in this called Dr. King Schultz in the movie. So it perfectly describes that, which I assume Tarantino has called him Dr. King because he's in this Western. He likes referencing other things in his films. Freedom, um, when uh, they're running away from the slavers, is amazing. And I Got a Name, where Django becomes a free man, is brilliant. And it's just such a varied soundtrack as well. And if you listen to it all in a row, it's got clips from the movie. As well, yeah. as, as well as just song. It's not just song, 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 song. So yeah. it's sort of like a mini version of watching the movie. So if you if you haven't seen Django, watch it because it's brilliant. It's my favourite Christmas yeah. movie ever. I watch it every Christmas day. And then listen to the soundtrack because the soundtrack is perfect. Hang on. Django Unchained's a Christmas film now. Yes. It, okay. came, it was released on Christmas Day. Right. It's got snow in it. Yep. I like it. <laughs> yep. And um, 
Yeah, I listen to. I watch it at Christmas. It's my Christmas movie. I, love I have to agree with you on the uh, on the film. It's a it's a superb film. I'll, I'll have to go and listen to the soundtrack in its entirety. I've just found it now, and uh, it seems to be uh, a lengthy fella. It's a t- it is a, it's a big old it is a big old soundtrack. Yeah, so it's actually longer than the film, <laughs> which is a long film. <laughs> Brilliant. It's got James Brown and Tupac on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The like I say, I watch it every year at Christmas. And the one year I couldn't watch it at Christmas was when, when I was saying before I was traveling around Thailand. And weirdly, that Christmas week I was hanging around with a guy who was called Django. Like he's the only Django I've ever met, and I met him at Christmas, the one Christmas where I can't watch Django. Right. Which is weird, isn't did it? Did you tell him that? I did, yeah. Well, yeah. I think every time he, he said he hated the film because Every time anyone hears his name, they say, well, I like the film. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's a weird name, isn't it? Indeed. Indeed. So, we're moving on to your last few here now. Yeah. Um, one is the genre that most describes or suits you and your personality. Tell me if you could pick one genre of music and you said that defines Tom Solon, what would it be? Um, what did I write? Oh, yeah, I'd like, I'd, I'd, uh, well, yeah, I'd like to say rock and roll and be cool and stuff, but I'm, I'm not really rock and roll anymore. I'm in my 30s and I'm a bit middle of the road and boring now and listening to Uptown Funk every day. Um, and I think, uh, I try and please everyone and without being com- confrontational or offensive. So I think, unfortunately, maybe I've actually gone a bit pop. As I've got into middle age, I don't necessarily like pop, but I feel like I am a bit pop, like just a yeah. bit. Yeah, I've stopped being rock and roll and wild like I was in my teenage years and twenties. So we're just going to finish off with a couple. I think that there's some questions that we sort of gone over that we've we've kind of answered throughout this cast in certain different areas. So I just want to know what's your favorite album of all time, Tom? Yeah, um, I'm going to go with the debut album from Kasabian, which is called Kasabian. Yes. Although, for crying out loud, it's a close second. It's the most recent album. But so many albums that I don't know that I could put up there. Marshall Mavis LP, definitely maybe. What's the story? First Active Monkeys album, Fat of the Land by Prodigy. Yep. Get Born by Jet. Great album. Yeah. Uh, I went. To, they did a, a tour a couple of years ago where they just played Get Born. Uh, nice. Not necessarily, it wasn't in order, but they played just played all the tracks from Get Born. It was such a great gig, but with my girlfriend who didn't really know any Jet songs, so she wasn't really <laughs> loving it. But there's, I think it was just a load of people with their girlfriends. So there's like half pe- half the people at the gig really, really digging the album, really digging the music. Yeah. And the other half are like, I've never heard this song in my life. Yeah. <laughs> it's like track nine on an album from 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> this, was the, this was around the time when I first met you. Because, yeah. my, because I remember going to your house and saying, have you heard of Jet? And you said, are they that New Zealand band? And I was like, oh, I don't know. This guy knows more than me. <laughs> and Razorlight was always on at your house at that time, I remember. Razorlight. Oh, that that would have been our ash, that, yeah. not me. And then the Killers were around then. and Yeah. Yeah, that was the time, wasn't it? Yeah, the uh... that was that was our ash with his computer that he just had every single thing you could imagine on there from yeah. from Bersh, yeah. He was that kid that was selling CDs and selling them for fifty p. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to finish, Tom, with your guilty pleasure. Doesn't have to be a song. Doesn't have to be an album. Just what is your musical guilty pleasure? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it makes you feel guilty, but I, th- I think. Um... I think all music is is, is personal, isn't it? But uh, I think this is one that people may describe as a guilty pleasure is um, McFly. I just really like McFly, considering I'm most like into like indie rock and roll. And I was so against pop for so long. McFly, just I just really like them. They just they're just so happy, and <laughs> they just make me happy every time I listen to them. Yeah, they're full of energy, aren't they? Mm. You know, you, you can't knock a good pop band. I don't think. Well, I mean, they are at that. They, they 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 came on lots from the girl with five colors in her hair, which was very much sort of skater band, skater. You know, yeah. They they went from being the replacement for Busted at first, didn't they? That's what they were, and then they ended up being having some good songs out of it. They but they're really, really, you know, good musicians, and I think that was it. 
Tom Fletcher, I believe, was involved in writing some of the stuff for Busted. So he they were already around on the scene in certain circles. Yeah. And then they auditioned to put to put themselves together a band. So yeah. I heard um, um a fact once, I don't know if this is true. It's like one of those bits of trivia. Um that Tom Fletcher has written more number one singles than the Beatles. Wow. And that was a long time ago that I heard that fact, so now it probably is true. We'll, we'll, we'll check it. Well, I don't think the Beatles have written any since, so. <laughs> yeah, they're catching up. <laughs> well, that is the end. We've gone through your questions, you know, some great things that we've uh, we've got across there, Tom. I've, I've really enjoyed spending that time with you. Yeah, it's good. I've just I've just thought of one band that I would like to get back together. Can I? Oh, go on. Yeah. Uh, it's a little known band called the Tamilers. Uh, who are they? It's uh, my good mate Johnny Lord's band. All right, yeah, yeah. In Stones, that's one of my favourite songs. Tom, been an absolute pleasure, mate. I'll um, I'll speak to you very soon, and you look after yourself, and uh, all the best for twenty twenty one. All right, Cheers, take mate. care, pal. Bye bye. Hi, it's me again. If you've got this far, it means you've actually took the time to listen to one of our podcasts, for which I'm sincerely really grateful. Please follow us if you can and keep your eye out for, for more of these as they come along. And if you like it that much, it'd be great if you could give us a review. Be really, really happy if you could do that for us. If you haven't already, if you could join the Facebook group, there's lots of chat that goes beyond podcasts on there for like-minded people who just really dig music. It's called Everyday Music People Group. Well, not group, Everyday Music People. You'll find us there. If you're interested in being on the show, you can either contact us through the Facebook group or there is an email address, which is everydaymusicpeople at gmail.com, or one word. Once again, thanks so much, and we'll see you on the next cast. Bye.